Trevor, and we are the Boo Crew. Welcome to episode 129. Here's a Boo Crew Fright Fact. In 1974's The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, at the end of the shoot, Marilyn Burns' clothing was so drenched with fake blood that it was a solid red color. Ew. You're about to join in conversation with the amazing and inspirational singer-songwriter and creator, Chelsea Wolfe. This is recorded days before the announcement of the new group she formed with drummer Jess Gowery called Mrs. Piss that have a debut album Self-Surgery out through Sargent House on May 29th, so that was still under wraps at the time. But we do talk all about her immersive and poetic songcraft, spirituality, sacred creative spaces, and you'll get some wonderful insight as to the process and thought and intent laced into her music and perhaps how it ignites something in you. It was such an intense pleasure to speak with her and we are so happy you are here to go on this journey with us. She also shares some of her favorite dark genre films, a behind-the-scenes look at some of her music videos, and more. This episode is dedicated to all of you, our Boo Crew family, as well as to a very special friend of the show, Bree from Portland, Oregon, who was instrumental in introducing us to Chelsea's music. And for that, we thank you so dearly. We are so happy you found us. This one's for you. Hey, this is Chelsea Wolf, and you're listening to The Boo Crew. Dusts a fright flick off the shelf for ah! Horror Homework. We're going to go around the room and around the world wide web all the way out to Leo in beautiful downtown Eagle Rock. Woo-hoo! To each yeah. highlight a horror flick to each other and possibly even to you that we consider a must-see or perhaps worth a revisit. We'll start things off, as usual, with Mr. Leo. Hey, you know what? Exorcisms are on the rise. I've been hearing this. What? <laughs> yeah, see, yeah, it re- they pop up on stories like everywhere right now. It's so weird. Do you Anyways. know anybody who's been exercised recently? No. Okay. Just check. I heard rumors, but no. Okay. <laughs> I went back to revisit a little film called The Devil and Father Amorth, 2017. Ooh. It was directed. It's a documentary directed by William Friedkin. He follows a 91-year-old Vatican exorcist, Father Gabriel Amorth, who actually passed away recently, and uh, performs who, who performs a real demonic exorcism on a woman from a small Italian town. Ooh. So the crazy thing is, he's the director of the 1973 movie The Exorcist, and all his life, you know, he always talked about being, you know, this guy who's not really uh, religious, but he believed that these things are possibly real. So he contacted the Vatican over the years, they said, no, you cannot film one. Eventually got in touch with this priest. He said, yes, in one condition, you have to film it and only you. So he was allowed just to walk in with his small camera and tape the ceremony. So the ritual. So it's so fascinating. That's crazy. Um, Sounds fucking scary as shit. <laughs> it, yeah, that's the thing. It's like you get to see like 45 minutes of 
what the, you know what they're what they're how they're helping this this poor girl and then he's obviously narrating you know before and after about making the movie and all that stuff and whether or not it's real but yeah there's some crazy things that happen off camera that he talks about and it's definitely worth watching only to get that exclusive that you probably have not seen before so i definitely recommend it wow was it was it a hard thing to watch i would imagine that would be no it's not what you expect it's a little different and and because it's a case where this poor girl is has been coming in i think weekly for like over a i I think it was years wow it's like a demonic a demonic chiropractor kind of like a treatment (laughs) right (laughs) like a body treatment thing yeah Yeah, a little more intense therapy yeah because apparently you know some cases it's just like a one-time deal and in some cases go on for years and apparently i think her case is one that went on for years in fact father gabriel amor passed away a couple years ago and did not finish like exercising the demons from this girl so oh my god somebody else somebody else took over damn but yeah definitely worth watching wow well on that note i'll I'll bounce off that one with a 2016 irish british indie film called a dark song so this one was written and directed by liam gavin starring steve orham and Catherine walker it's the most recent project liam has done in fact it's his only feature film he did a couple shorts and then he won won a bunch of awards with this one and we found out about this gem through the amazing actor kate siegel from mike flanagan's haunting of hill house and hush right and Mike himself loves this film so much that he got Liam to direct an episode of the upcoming Haunting of Bly Manor, which I hear is is on track because they finished all the production right before the COVID thing started. Uh-oh. So they've been able to do post-production uh, in, in quarantine. So that apparently is still on track to come out I hope so. later this year. You know, be, I went oh, on man. Netflix <laughs> And there's a little thing that says that it's it's coming, like, like a page yeah. reserved on Netflix. And I was like, yes, we need to oh, we cool. need that show during this. So this film is about a woman who does what is purportedly a real life ritual called the Abramelin ritual to summon her guardian angel, and it's based on the actual thing that is spread over I think like three books dating back to the 1400s, describing a ritual that takes half a year to 18 months to do and involves the invocation and binding of demons. So usually they do it. People do it in isolation. Legend has it. Alistair Crowley actually performed this ritual two times. And the way they take you on this journey feels very real, almost like a documentary. It puts you through the ringer. The visual effects are so impactful and heavy and religious This is going to stay with you, and you will think about this movie quite possibly forever. Wow. Wow. These are some two crazy movies that I have not seen that I'm a little scared to see, (laughs) but they sound great. They sound great. Okay. I'm going to go with 2011's You're Next. Oh. Yes. Yes. That was amazing. And I love this movie. It's directed by Adam Wingard, written by Simon Barnett, and starring Sharni Vinson, Nicholas Tushi, Wendy Glenn, Barbara Crampton. And it's a slasher film, and it follows a family that meets up for a family reunion in their vacation home in rural middle of nowhere, Missouri. 
right there, you know it's not looking good for this family. And I really cared about the characters in this story. They were written so well, and it was really emotional when anybody got hurt or killed. There are some really cool, creepy masks in this film, and you know me and the props, so I instantly love it and want them all. And it just had me at the edge of my seat, and I kept saying, like, oh, shit, no, no, don't. Oh, fuck. Yeah, that's why I love this movie. (laughs) Go see it if you haven't. If you've already seen it, go revisit it. I remember loving the twist in that movie and also loving seeing A.J. Bowen from House of the Devil and Ty West himself. That's right. makes an appearance in this. Yeah, Yeah. it's really, really cool. There's there's a fun twisted uh, fun fact about this movie that somebody wrote some article saying that the killer could be the same person who's stalking Kate Siegel and Hush. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. Is it a conspiracy theory? Yeah, it's like a conspiracy. There might be a, there might be a Easter egg somewhere, but I but it was really compelling. What we wrote this was was really interesting. I gotta dig that out. That sounds fascinating. Yeah, I gotta look yeah. that up now too. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining the Boo Crew via the Speakeasy Studio is a brilliant and evocative singer songwriter and creator. Her work is highly acclaimed, her albums appearing many times in the Billboard charts, such as 2013's Pain is Beauty, 2015's Abyss Landed in the Hot 200, as with the incredible His Spun in 2017. A fascinating and empowering visual presence, as seen in her many phantasmagoric films that accompany some of these songs, make us tumble into their worlds even more so. The Culling, Deranged for Rock and Roll, Be All Things, Feral Love, the list goes on. Perhaps most of all, the thing that makes her so different is this alchemy embedded in everything she does, this intimacy. You feel like these are your songs and your stories. It is that gliding that she does between the places seen and unseen, and it's where this music inhabits. But it's way more than music, and these are way more than just songs. It's an experience. There is solace in the questions they ask and redemption in the patchwork of the peaks and valleys of the places seen and unseen. That space in the shadows where words and melody wrap around each other and churches are created on the arbors of rhythm. This is where she exists for us. Her latest album, her sixth album, is Birth of Violence. She is Chelsea Wolfe. Yeah. Yeah. Hi, guys. That was cool. Thank you. <laughs> Chelsea, thank you so much for joining us. Birth of Violence is is what came after a state of constant motion for you that had lasted for quite a while in terms of touring and being swept up in the chaos. And now here we all are forced to adapt to a new reality of tearing things down to their most basic. <laughs> How have you been holding up through all of this right now? Yeah, this. I mean, it's funny that you mentioned that. This, the timing is so strange because I did purposefully take some time off of touring last year. It took about eight months off after this long, you know, a few years, many years of being on the road constantly. So it was actually, at first I was kind of like upset, like, oh man, I already took all this time off and now I, you know, my my tour just got canceled and I don't know when I'm going to be able to tour again. But in a sense, it was actually kind of not good timing for me, but it was like last year taking that time off really taught me how to like work from home and taught me how to, you know, like really structure my days so that time does exist and that I can get a lot of work done and and not lose my mind just like being away from people so much so it doesn't really feel that different for me other than obviously the collective you know trauma and darkness and everything that's going on like I I feel that and you know I'm trying to like channel that back into music and stuff but 
yeah, I don't know. It's it's strange time. Sorry, I'm just rambling. No, off no, right it's, no, we totally, we totally <laughs> relate. How do you think the situation manifested a, a new creative space for you? Um, at first, like I said, I, I was basically in Europe about to start a tour and then had to fly home after it was canceled. And at first I w- really felt this push like, okay, I got to like start making music right away or do something creative to fill this hole that this tour left. But I really wasn't feeling very creative or productive or anything. It's like at first, I think I just kind of like, and I think everyone kind of just needed to like come to terms with what was happening and sort of try to wrap your brain around it a little bit. But after I sort of let go of that and like stopped pushing myself to be creative, then that's when it like really opened up and started coming naturally. And I just kind of started tapping into my instinct and, and wanting to find different ways to be creative and, you know, try to like invite other people to be creative with me and stuff. So Yeah, well, that transpired in that cover you did of Crazy Train for Two Minutes to Late Night, which is astounding. Yeah. So how did that adventure transpire? Yeah, I've been a fan of that show, Two Minutes to Late Night, for a long time. It's kind of like this metal-themed comedy show out of New York, and a few of my friends are involved in it. And uh, we had talked about doing a cover ages ago, like maybe in person, but the timing never really lined up when I was in New York. So it was kind of magical that we could still do it, but this time from afar. And yeah, they they kind of put the song together, and then my bandmate Ben and I sort of put the finishing touches on it with some keyboards and vocals. It was super fun. It's like my favorite karaoke song to do so it was, it was really <laughs> rad to do it in like a, a better setting yeah no that's awesome i'm a huge dillinger escape plan fan too those guys are amazing yeah, totally. <laughs> so is there a place that is sacred for you perhaps like a room in your house or a place outside somewhere that you typically like to go to explore your mind and musical ideas and what does that look like for you yeah definitely i mean i have like i basically converted my garage into like a practice studio so when you know, when we're able, like my, my bandmates would come up and we would practice there as a band, but I actually have like another room in my house. That's just like a writing room. And that's really my sacred space. That's where I have all my art from my friends and, you know, creation, creations from my friends that kind of surround me and make me feel supported and all my candles and all that, that kind of thing that make me feel comfortable. And then I just have like a simple recording setup, And that's where I do a lot of like lyric writing and kind of like basic song structure writing like the beginnings of a lot of songs happen here so yeah it's definitely my sacred space and I feel super lucky to have that especially right now what has being in the hills of northern California awoke inside of you oh man I think it's been almost a spiritual experience to be out here away from so many people I mean it's you know the population is like under a thousand here so it's you don't see that many people on any given day and being up in the trees and being up in the mountains and the quiet and just like, you know, at night you don't hear any cars or people outside screaming or anything like that. Like it was when I lived in downtown LA years ago, like, you know, the other night I just like was listening to two owls, like communicate back and forth. And it just, maybe it sounds kind of like dorky, but it's those little moments are so magical for me. And they just like really make me appreciate the simplicity of, I don't know, existence and of life and like being able to just like in- enjoy those little things oh god i'm just rambling again no but, no you're not rambling as well this is but, awesome stuff but but I, yeah i also have you know like i'm able since i moved out here where nobody really wants to live i'm able to like i was able to afford a little bit more space and so i have like a yard and i was able to build a little garden for the first time in my life and and yeah i don't know it's just been like really cool to to connect with mother nature and more and like experience her like intense thunderstorms and snow and like all, all these really 
like specific seasons that I didn't really get in Sacramento or in LA. So yeah, it's just been like really magical to connect, to connect with living up in, up in the trees and up in the mountains more. And, you know, like the other night there was a bear in my yard. So there's like, there's, there's also like the, you know, the intense side, like you got to respect. It's not, it's not all like magical owls and gardens. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> like you got to watch out for the bears. Too. Right. Yeah. It's not like Snow White. You walk out there and everyone's going right. to come out and hang exactly. out with you and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to reference something we said earlier about you creating this intimate experience for the listener. Is that a circumstantial byproduct or is that alchemy something that you actually labor upon? I think, you know, at first when I started writing music, it was just like very much based on instinct and it still is, but now I put a lot more effort and thought into everything I do. And I have learned to like edit myself and to really like make what I want to say, you know, the right words. Cause I think of words as like, you know, it's like they have so much intention behind them. They're very important. And you, and I've learned over time that you really do have to think about what you say. Um, which is why I get nervous and awkward for interviews and stuff. Um, sorry, third time I said that, but anyways, when it comes to like lyrics and, um, the songs themselves, it's like, there is a lot of intimacy there. And I, I do want to be careful about what I'm putting into that. Um, but yeah, I just, I've always thought of like the experience of music as a very intimate thing, whether it's like, you know, like in high school, I was just like one of those kids that was always in my headphones listening to music. And to me, that's almost like a really intimate experience too, because someone is basically like whispering these lyrics or yelling these lyrics right in your ear. You know, it's like right there in your head and you can close your eyes and sort of have this whole private world, you know, where you're experiencing something. And then there's also the very like outward expression of that in the live shows where people are right in front of you and you like have this very like physical visceral and uh, you know energy exchange between you so yeah i think music is very intimate in many ways as you said your music has a visual scope it evokes imagery mm -hmm. when you close your eyes what do you see when you're constructing these soundscapes sometimes it's very much like abstract like colors and shapes and things moving and then sometimes it's more specific like when i was writing birth of violence i i think i was you know taking the time to connect to where i live and so I was very much envisioning like these landscapes and meadows and, you know, imagining like a house and a meadow and imagining like the trees and the mountains around it. And like those were like elements of the music, you know, like it was this very visual picture that I had. So, yeah, it kind of varies, but it's definitely always a lot going on, you know, when I'm close, when I'm closing my eyes and writing. You always find a way to cut through the music with your beautiful haunting voice and acoustic guitar. How do you find that balance of the light and darkness in your lyrics and the heavier rock guitar sounds with the soft acoustic guitars in your songwriting? Mm, well, yeah, I mean, I definitely have those two sides where I, I, you know, began as like basically a folk musician, just singer songwriter, writing stripped down songs on acoustic guitar and then eventually built a band and, you know, experimented more and more with heavy music. But that folk sensibility still very much exists in me. And so I wanted to go back to that on Birth of Violence. And I think either way, like whether it's the acoustic music or like the heavy rock music, I'm always kind of seeking to, but also naturally just balancing a bit of darkness with a bit of hope because I, or just, you know, I, I always want to inject a little bit of hope into the darkness, but also it's, it's kind of like reality music where there is always light and dark existing at the same time. 
you know, anywhere you look in the world or in yourself, like there's just this thin line between the dark and the light. And so I just want to reflect that in my music. Going more into that cinematic element to your music, taking Be All Things, for instance, perhaps seriously, one of the most beautiful songs ever made. It sounds like it was almost delivered to you by angels or like a newly discovered hymn that was revealed through a scrying ritual or something. It's on another plane entirely. What guides your melodic decisions? Is it an emotion you feel between the notes that, that takes you to that next place? What is it and how does the, do those decisions inform themselves when you're writing? Mm. I mean, I definitely overuse the word instinct, but that's just like how I operate in a lot of ways. And I don't know. It's like, I, I think for most of my music, it, that is how it is. It's just like, I'm following this sort of like drive inside of me that wants to get out. And, you know, like oftentimes when I'm going to, sit down and write melodies and lyrics like I will sort of set the scene you know like I will get all of my recording equipment set up and like ready to go I'll light some candles I'll turn the lights down and like then maybe I'll smoke a little bit of weed or you know every once in a while like take a little microdose of mushrooms or even take a shot of vodka or something just something to like sort of open me up and not I mean I don't always do that but this is kind of like just an example but um and then, you know, I'll, I'll hit play on like whatever I'm working on, like guitar wise or something the band has sent me or something. And then I just kind of like let whatever is going to flow, flow vocally. Um, so there's always like that first initial just like release of sound that's like coming out of me naturally. And then I, you know, sort of refine it and work on it from there. Um, and I think on Birth of Violence, it was a lot about the joy of singing as this was like my seventh album and I've, you know, been lucky to be able to experiment with my voice a lot on the road and on all these records that it just like, yeah, things were just coming out of me really naturally and really joyful. And I was happy to be at home and this place that really felt like home finally and to, you know, be able to take a break and focus on my like spiritual and mental health. And yeah, I just think like all of that kind of channeled into these songs and that's where the melodies came from. How involved are you in the production process? Every instrument has a really distinct character and their ghosts mm-hmm. almost haunt each of these songs. String sections have an almost spectral quality about them and this this building swirling underneath all the songs and pianos that sound like they're caked in dust in the attic of a decrepit Victorian mansion in songs like American Darkness, for instance. How mm-hmm. do you develop control of that specter and find that balance in creating a world without overpowering the song, but enhancing it by creating that sonic world. Yeah. Well, like I mentioned before, my bandmate, um, or maybe I didn't, my bandmate, Ben Chisholm and I work really closely together on all the production elements. He came into the band pretty early on as I was working on my first album, the grime and the glow. So we just like discovered that we really had a lot of the same approaches to music in that cinematic way. And you know, from there, like we just go back and forth a lot. Um, on Birth of Violence, I definitely like had planned on this album being a lot more stripped down and thought maybe it would just be like guitar and vocals, like almost demo style or something. But I don't know, as it was going along, like I, you know, sat down and played some of the songs for Ben and was just like, do you think this should stay stripped down? Like what, you know, like just kind of going back and forth and gave a few of the songs over to him. And he just started like reamping my vocals through different 
effects pedals and things like that and creating these textures that just felt so good and like woke up the song so much so it just yeah it just happened like with the two of us working together for so long i think it was just like the right the right thing to do for these songs and we both knew it the boo crew will be right back had it been a nightmare what woke him was the candle in the antique mirror moving was there something standing by the curtains was he mad (laughs) the crimson cult so terrifying they won't let us tell you about it here a nightmare combination of shock and terror and you're invited behind forbidden doors horror house stars frankie avalon and jill hayworth the crimson cult features boris karloff and christopher lee see them together for the first time but don't see them alone rated gp There are also these like massive orchestral and choral arrangements. The last quarter oh, yeah. of the Mother Road just envelops the listener in this. So, what what parts of you are are in that part of the music? Oh yeah, I mean, I've I've been playing with this um, viola player Ezra Bukla for quite a few years on quite a few records now, and um, invited him to play on a few of these songs as well. He was supposed to fly out for it, but something happened where he couldn't. So, I just sent him a few of the songs, and he recorded a you know a bunch of stuff, like many many tracks, and then. Ben basically kind of took those and just created little string sections from them. And I mean, essentially, like I'm involved in every aspect of it. You know, it's it's not like I would ever let someone else sign off on something. But I will say that Ben had a big hand in the production of the strings and all those background sounds on Birth of Violence for sure. But I was, you know, sitting there with him and like everything was very much a collaboration as well. So, Birth of Violence was recorded uh, at your Northern California home. Was the do-it-yourself home production process challenging for you and your band? No, it actually went pretty smooth. You know, like, I was worried about it not sounding good enough. But at the same time, it was like, I didn't really care if it sounded like some slick studio album or something. I wanted it to kind of reflect the fact that it was me communing with this space that I finally had time to, like, spend, spend some time in and, you know, connect with. So it was about capturing the feel of the space, you know, just recording vocals in my living room with like the fire crackling in the background or like sometimes I would just leave the door open if there was like a, a storm outside or something just to kind of like capture the actual feel of the place. But yeah, it, it wasn't that challenging. It was like pretty, it just went pretty smoothly. It was cool. We had some really good microphones. That was basically the whole record budget it was just buying a few good microphones and stuff like that. So. With the cinematic element of your music being so developed, would you ever consider scoring a film? And what would your ideal opportunity look like? Oh, man, I think it would have to be something a bit psychological. You know, like people usually assume that I love like gory horror films, (laughs) but I'm an empath and I actually really can't handle watching a lot of like physical, like other people in physical pain. Like it actually makes me kind of want to throw up. So um, but I really love like a maybe a bit a mild a bit of that, but something that's a little more, you know, psychedelic. Like The Witch uh, is one of my favorites. I don't know, like Let the Right One In. Something that's like a horror movie or a darker movie, or something like a dark in dark fantasy realm, but you know, isn't too gory basically. Because I I think I'm such like a mind based person. You know, like I like I've talked about a lot in this interview. Like I, everything I 
I don't know, all the cinematic stuff is like exists in my head. So I think I would want to sort of like reflect that musically as well. But I mean, honestly, I, Ben and I like have a huge dream of uh, scoring a film together, at least like writing original songs for a film or something. So we'd definitely love to do that. And I think we could do many different genres, but I think ideally, yeah, like some kind of psychological thriller or something would be really cool. Now that would be amazing. Hey, did you see uh, Gretel and Hansel by uh, by chance recently? I haven't. That's something that's right in that in that vein yeah. of like the witch and thing. Yeah, I think you would really oh, cool. enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. I'll check yeah. It out. yeah, you'll love it. I need I need more movies like that to watch. So thanks. Well, I wanted to talk about one film that you've mentioned before in interviews in the past, and that uh, that's your love of 1957's uh, The Seventh Seal by Ingmar Bergman. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering when you first discovered that film and one what kind of impact that it had on you. I mean, I saw it as a kid. I don't really know how or why, probably just someone in my family or something, but I mean, maybe not a kid, maybe like in high school or something, but still kind of a kid. And I don't think I really understood it at that time, but just the style of it, like the, the, obviously the black and white, the contrasty, the shadows and everything. Um, but also just that figure of death on the beach with his arm up, it was like that just stuck in my mind and I had dreams about it for a long time. And for me, like death became this, character more than like an actual thing that happened you know and so I wrote about death in all these different ways and a lot of my early songs so I think that was definitely more the the impact that I had visually uh, deranged for rock and roll the video for that kind of plays like a horror film in a way as you're in in purgatory playing the same song over and over again in this desert bar what did you love about working with Gilbert Trejo on that video oh man that was such a great experience because especially because it, it came together so fast we just kind of had this thing like we should make a video for the song like we love the song it's different it's like kind of fun kind of dark and so we sent it over to Gilbert and he immediately came back with this idea that um, you know he knew this little like town above LA that we shot in um, I think it's called Ransburg anyways he basically had this vision that I was like sort of this ghost that was stuck in this old dusty bar singing the same song over and over forever and I love that because it reminds me of like a lot of the nightmares I had as a kid where things would just happen over and over and over and it would drive me crazy and yeah he just invited like a lot of his rad friends to to join like the cast of it and everything came together so well for that and working with Gilbert and his team was just like a dream everyone was so positive and cool and the edit came together super fast and like I loved the first edit of it which is super rare so it was great and then American Darkness, who are the people in the video and what do they represent? My friend Carlos Renee Ayala is basically like a documentarian slash writer slash musician. Like he wrote the song Boyfriend that I covered on uh, a previous album. And anyways, I'd been wanting to do a, a music video with him for a long time and really wanted to reflect my sort of like love and connection with tarot cards. So yeah, we we just kind of like thought about all the magical people that we knew collectively and invited them to play different tarot cards in the video and that one also came together like it was a bit more work to for him he had to like travel around california to film different people but um it also came together pretty well and pretty easy when did you first discover a home for your spiritual self in witchcraft and tarot and how did that present itself to you it's been something that's kind of been a part of my life for a really long time but it was it went unnamed for a long time and i think I don't know, like I didn't really want to use that name because I didn't really, I wasn't really sure if I connected with it until, you know, like the past few years really. But yeah, I mean, I was like raised by, you know, like a very spiritual grandmother who taught me uh, 
you know, like aromatherapy and energy work and things like that. And kind of just opened me up to the, the fact that there is like more than the physical realm, you know, um, I wasn't really raised religiously. I, I did have some religious experiences um, going to different churches and stuff in high school and everything, but I just really wasn't raised that way. So it was more just like exploring the spiritual realm. And yeah, I think as I started studying more specifically a few years ago, I was more okay with like naming it and saying like, okay, this is actually a, a path that I'm on. Like this is a path of witchcraft and it's, you know, just this really beautiful, like healing thing for me. And, you know, for most of the people that I know that are involved in it, even though some people might look at it as something dark, but it's really not, you know, I mean, it can be for sure, but it's generally like a very healing, uh, beautiful thing. Have there been any specific books or teachers along the way that have been instrumental in the path of your development? Yeah. I mean, a lot of it was, I don't really like to name books per se. Cause then like I get quoted on them forever. Like this was her most influential thing, but, but let's just say I have a pretty huge like library of books on like witchcraft and Norse mythology and tarot and the wheel of the year, just all these things. Definitely more recently, you know, like I've enjoyed books by um, people who are now friends of mine, like Pam Grossman and Gabrielle Herstick. They have some, you know, great books on witchcraft if anybody's interested. Also, uh, the woman who goes by Oracle of LA, Amanda Yates Garcia. And then there's also a lot of really great podcasts that you know, like she has one as well called Between the Worlds. Anyways, I think it became a little bit more like, I don't know, specific and like honed in last year when I magically found this therapist who lives like five minutes from me, who happens to also be like an energy worker and like pretty witchy herself. So it was like, I had really been wanting to go to therapy, but I was like, I didn't, I don't know. I just was, wasn't, expecting to find anyone that really connected me with me on that level in the small community that I live in. So I think last year, like a lot of that really came to the forefront and I was like more comfortable talking about it because I had this like spiritual teacher actually in person who I was, you know, joining up with every couple of weeks. Have you had any experience with the paranormal? I mean, I grew up experiencing sleep paralysis, which I think some people consider paranormal. I don't really know how to define it other than like it has connected connected me with this realm of sleep and dreams in a way that is like really intense and has created so much inspiration for my music whether I realized it or not you know like when I was younger I didn't really understand what was happening and again it's like once you kind of put a name to something and hear other people talking about it you can sort of like look into it more and figure it out and I really explored that sleep paralysis and my experiences with like insomnia and nightmares and on my album abyss but every single album of mine ha- will have a lot of references to the dream world or sleeping or waking up because it's just such a big part of my life i mean even last night like i've been experiencing these things in the past year that i actually haven't found a name for yet so maybe if anybody knows they could tell me um <laughs> but I-, I call them light blooms because like in the middle of the night sometimes i will wake up and basically like my eyes are closed but I have this sort of like psychedelic patterned light show behind my eyes and it's almost like the kind of patterns that you'd see in nature you know but they're like blooming and changing and growing and at first it was like really stressing me out and I didn't I thought something was like really wrong with me and maybe there is I don't know but I started to kind of embrace it and like I don't know 
I'm still exploring it, like I said, but sometimes when I like just let it happen instead of like freaking out about it, it's almost like I start to get messages like some something great or something small, you know, and I'll just like write them down and look at them the next day and be like, okay, like, what does that mean? And so I don't know, that's been really interesting. I don't know if that's paranormal either, but for me, it's like definitely some in between realm that I'm exploring and trying to figure out and make sense of. Sure. No, yeah. that's fascinating. You've had, I've had experiences like that too. It's like a, like a kaleidoscopic almost behind your oh, okay. behind your yeah. eyes. Yeah. So other people yeah. do have this. Yeah, yeah. it's definitely happened. But yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. I've never I've never actually sat and kind of lived in it. You know what I mean? <laughs> which is which is a really interesting practice. That's that's really cool. I bet there's there's probably stuff written about that. I would imagine that that's good to explore for sure. Yeah. Continuing along the path to within and without the external part, the performance aspect. What do you get from the experience of taking the music on the road and seasoning these songs and, and watching them evolve? It's taken me a long time to get to the point where I actually do enjoy playing live and like in front of people. I still have nights where I get a lot of stage fright or just be, you know uncomfortable being up there or whatever. But I've started to embrace just the fact that it's like at the end of the day, it's my bandmates, friends, family and I connecting with each other in like a different way each night. And I just have to focus on that and how special it is and how the audience is different each night and their energy is different each night. And we're all kind of like connecting with each other. And it's just like this interplay of all these emotions and feelings and souls. And it's like this really, I don't know, like magical, beautiful swirl of energy. And so when I think about it like that, it doesn't scare me as much because I'm just like, well, we're all having this experience. And the songs themselves, obviously, like I, I think, I don't know, sometimes I think I should tour for like a couple months before I record an album, because whenever you tour a while, and then like the songs transform so much. And then, they, like you said, they become so much more like seasoned. I'm thinking of it like seasoning, like a uh, something you're cooking or something. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> there's all, okay. There's all these like little, you know, special things that you start to do in your, in your voice or in your playing or whatever. And and then, yeah, you listen back to the album and it, it's still, you know, like captured the time, but it sounds so so different, you know, and it's almost like I, I would want to try to capture the live version of things sometime. That's that just one of those great things that makes it so awesome to be able to go and watch live music of your favorite yeah. artists because it's, yeah, what you're seeing is completely different usually from what's on record and you're seeing all the road marks and all the, the weathering that the road and playing those songs has, has done and, and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. yeah. You've also been able to play some amazing venues. You did uh, King Arthur Court in Chicago. You've played churches. You did the first Unitarian mm -hmm. Church out, out here in L.A. where we are. What have been some of the more, uh, the, the places that have impacted you the most of being able to play? One of the coolest experiences is in Oslo, Norway, I had the chance to play this really intimate show. I can't even remember how big the audience was. It was maybe, I don't know, like... 30 people or something. It's a very wow. small space. It's called like Vigilans Mausoleum. It's like this artist who had this uh, little mausoleum space and the ceiling is painted and the walls are painted. It's very dark. There's like a 16 second reverb in there or something. I'm probably misquoting everything, but the, if you look it up, you'll be able to figure out all the correct information about it. But it was so amazing singing in there. It was a challenge too, because, you know, it's just obviously just guitar and vocals, no um, electricity or amping or anything like that but it was like you know i love reverb obviously but not every song i have has 16 second reverb on it so yeah. you kind of have 
you have to like figure out how to like make the songs work with this long reverb and sort of slow things down or pause or whatever. And it was just so special playing in there. That was definitely one of my favorites. I, and I always love playing in a space that used to be something else, you know, whether it's like an old funeral home or an old church or still a church or, uh, you know, some kind of like weird space over in Europe that used to be, I don't know, so many different things, obviously, but um, yeah. I definitely got to play some amazing spaces, like you said. Are there any places that you would love to play? Mm. Sometimes I'll see people playing in like these old, you know, like Roman ruins and things like that, or like in a cave or something. You're like, I would definitely love to make something like that happen sometime. There's actually this really beautiful cave in not too far from where I am in Northern California that I would like to try to record a session or something and I actually did record a, a session in like a cavern last year and I used some of the footage for the be all things video and I might try to release that at some point but it didn't turn out as well as I expected it to but like visually it was totally incredible it was like you know uh, deep in the ground and just surrounded by these like sparkling walls and, and it was dripping uh, the water was dripping all around me and stuff so it was just like really cool but yeah, I don't know. I think more more natural spaces would be really cool in the future. Yeah, that Be All Things video has this incredible location of exterior, what appears to be like hot springs, and the interior spiral staircase where you're walking down in this cavernous location. Mm-hmm. Where was that filmed? Was it was it part of a set or something? It's not too far from Sacramento, and uh, I actually went there like on a field trip as a kid. But yeah, the place is called Moaning Caverns, and it's. As you can see in the video, it's like absolutely incredible. And uh, I expected there to be like this really huge reverb down there, but it was so like damp and so, uh, so much like moisture in the air and so much like dripping that it was actually really almost like hard to get my voice to project. It was, wow. It was really strange. Yeah. But it was quite an experience. Was that filmed by a band? Did he film that footage? No, there was a, um, a couple friends and people who worked at the, the caverns you had like a drone so they were filming oh it. that's so cool talking about caverns have you seen as above so below is it a movie yes <laughs> i i don't i guess not no yes it's i think you'd really like it it's about the catacombs in paris and it's it's really good oh wow yeah i haven't been to the catacombs have any of you been there no i haven't leo have you been there no, I haven't, but I think Chelsea has to do a show there. Oh, that'd be amazing. Oh, <laughs> that would be oh so insane. Yeah, be that perfect. sounds yeah. Um, very intense, yes. <laughs> I mean, I, I visited the Bone Church outside of Prague, and again, I don't know. It's like, I think people would think that I would like thrive in there, but I felt so claustrophobic and like upset and weird that I didn't really stay in there very long, so... I don't know. It's like, I'm always looking at the macro and the micro and like, I look at it at the macro and I'm like, okay, it's like this beautiful project made out of all these like human bones. But then I look at like one single skull and I'm just, and I like start to think about this person and what they experienced and why is there like a huge hole in their skull? Like did someone hit him with a hammer? Like it's just, my mind starts to go crazy. So I don't, yeah, I just couldn't handle it. It's all part of what makes your music so great though. Is that those elements that you bring to it? Seriously. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. That's good. Thanks. Speaking of that, like doing press and talking about the music and talking about yourself, is is there anything you get back from that process? Yeah, I mean, I think I really try to avoid doing too many just because they like make me really nervous. But then once I do, 
I kind of realized that some of the questions that the person is asking or like the conversation that we're having is sort of like helping me unlock what the songs mean to me because you know I, I have like paragraphs and paragraphs and pages of what the songs mean to me or like inspirations behind them but it doesn't really you know sink in the same way as like when I find myself talking about them and realizing like oh yeah that's what I meant by that or whatever because again it's just like comes from like this deep place inside of me and I even have to make sense of it myself sometimes I think a lot of musicians and artists experience that people who write lyrics I want to know what is the most personal song you've written to date oh man um I think it might have to be the song scrape from my last album his is the most personal lyrically for me yeah I mean it's it comes a lot from like uh, looking back at the way I allowed myself to be treated in relationships like in my 20s my early 20s and and it's also sort of like written from the perspective of a woman on like a surgery table. And yeah, I don't know if I'm going to like get into it too much, but no, no, <laughs> as you can fun. tell, my like hesitance about talking about it, like is obviously what is just very personal to me. But yeah, I think that was like one of the times that I was just like, all right, I'm going to write this song. that's like very much like intense for me. And, but that's okay because I think it, a lot of people could probably connect to it. You definitely. Know? Definitely. What's next for you in terms of everything that's going on? And I know there was touring plans that were, that were stopped or postponed till later next year. And what, what's kind of in the cards for you right now? Yeah. I mean, like many musicians, unfortunately we keep seeing more and more of our tour dates getting canceled. You know, like I was supposed to play this great festival called Arc Tangent in August and that just got canceled. So it's like, it keeps getting pushed further and further out. Like we rescheduled our summer Australia dates just to like the same dates next year. So I'm hoping, you know, like crossing my fingers that by June of 2021, we can play shows, uh, but we'll see. And in the meantime, my band and I had already planned on starting to write our new album. The funny thing is that the whole concept behind it was that you know, for once we were going to really try to write it like the four of us together in one room, like we were going to go rent a Airbnb somewhere for a week or a studio or something. And just, you know, have it be the four of us in the same room, this family has been playing together for like the past three, four years. And, and then this happened. So it's like, now we're back to like sending stuff back and forth over the internet, which is okay. But, you know, I, I do hope that at some point we're able to go back to the idea of, of writing together in the same room. Well, Chelsea, thank you so much for taking the time and thank you for your incredible art. It's appreciated more than you could ever know by so many of us. Oh, thank you so much for having me and thanks for all your nice words. I appreciate that. That was the Boo Crew Podcast episode 129. Special thanks to our guest, Chelsea Wolf. Follow at C Chelsea Wolf on Instagram and Twitter. Find all of her wonderful albums everywhere, including her latest Birth of Violence. At time of release, her new project, Mrs. Piss, have an album called Self Surgery out May 29th. Music for this episode by Chelsea Wolf. Production tracks provided by Power Man 5000. If you like this episode, be sure to check out episode number 59 with Twin Temple, episode number 10 with Exorcist R.H. Davis, and episode number 126 with Maria Brink. Till next time, it's the Boo Crew saying sweet screams. 
Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the bloody disgusting podcast network. Bye. A bloody disgusting podcast network, home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews, SCP archives, weekly full cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and creepy for disturbing and terrifying creepy pastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com/podcasts.